Welcome to the DFD, a podcast dedicated to all things dairy farming. Each episode, we chat with industry leaders who share insights and their experiences into the dairy business. I'm your host, Keith Schweitzer, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the DFD podcast. I'm your host, Keith Schweitzer. I'm super excited to have Kristen Benke back on. I know it's one of our most listened to podcasts in the past. Uh, Kristen... Why don't you say hi this morning? Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for having me. No problem. I know uh, it's always a a good topic of an interest for producers to kind of get some insight into how their milk's priced and, and some of the different marketing and things like that. So I really appreciate your time coming on here and, and going over some of that stuff with us today. So oh, it's great. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to start off. I know I was re-listening to the podcast we did there. I don't know, eight months ago or so, maybe a year ago. And I was just wondering, one of the things in there was, how's the new pricing system working? I know there was a lot of talk about it before um, it got rolled out last year in February. And I'm just wondering how things are going with it. Uh, yeah, so we, we uh, that was a P5 policy. So Ontario, New Brunswick and PEI got it launched right away in February. So we are actually now all harmonized once again. So Quebec and Nova Scotia implemented the policy in August. Um, so, so far, I, I, the idea of that policy was really to sort of directionally give us something where we could adjust, but not to do anything too drastic. You remember all the the palm fat stuff that was going mm-hmm. on at that point in time. So um, I would say that it's been it's been pretty steady. The thing that's happened in the last little while is the world price has actually started to increase quite a bit. So producers would see that in that market ratio price. It's actually been not too bad. So we're we've been well over two dollars. So from that perspective, I would say it's not a huge deterrent at, at this point in time. So um, people should expect to see probably that those ratios will be reviewed coming up. And uh, now that everybody in the P5 has sort of implemented things, um, that we look to uh, directionally start to maybe limit the skim milk production a little bit more. So um, again, just in terms of the idea of the market ratio being what's the SNF that we need for just filling the domestic market. So right now we're at a 2.0, so that might be adjusted a little bit. Um, but really that no pay ratio at 2.3 is probably right now, given the amount of skimming that we've been doing over the last year, it's probably a little bit high. So again, um, that'll be reviewed probably by the P5 quota committee and we'll see what sort of further adjustments are, are needed coming up. Is there any indication on like where your SNF comes from? Like is Quebec say run higher fat than what Ontario does? Like, is it regionally specific or is it? Yeah, so so for sure, we used to have like a much bigger, I would say, difference between Ontario and Quebec for sure, and then also just in terms of Western Canada. So in the in the last little while, everybody's butterfat tests have come up. Um, so we're not; it's not the same sort of spread, but definitely Quebec. Generally, uh, so I'll I'll just back up. Nationally, we have targets, right, in terms of the SNF ratio that each of the pools, so uh, P five and Western Milk Pool, is supposed to be hitting. 
Uh, so Western Milk Pool always had a slightly higher target just because historically their butterfat test was lower. And in the P5, um, I'll say Quebec really offset Ontario's sort of higher ratio or lower butterfat test um, to keep us sort of in range. So since that point in time, Ontario's uh, butterfat test has come up. So we're those those. Uh, targets that we used to have at the national level are sort of meaningless at this point in time. And so that's probably why uh, just looking at things, there'll, there'll probably be a bigger review going forward because we know for sure um, based on the, the growth that we've seen in the last five years and assuming that sort of things continue on that same sort of trend, the vast majority of growth is in butter in high butter fat products. So mm -hmm. if we continue on that trend, uh, we're going to need to limit that SNF a little bit more. Well, I know like saturated fats have been getting some good news stories and it just seems like the more they talk about that, you know, as butter and even um, saturated fats coming from other products as being a good thing for your health. It seems like the trend has been to, you know, more butter, like even just at like you look at the store shelves in the grocery store myself is that lots of times you go there and there's a whole lot of butter there, but there's a lot of margarine and other kind of products there that I guess would be its direct competitor. Right. No, we, we've definitely had very strong growth in butter in the last little while. If we just because uh, we've been looking at these numbers, we did some of our strategic planning recently. But um, over the last five years, the total growth in butter fat requirements at the national level was about 17 percent. And more than half of that comes from butter. So either butter that's straight retail or butter that's um, being sold into further processed products. So like your pastries or uh, products mm -hmm. like that. Um, so so it's a huge it makes up a huge percentage of that overall growth that we've seen. But then you get the skim with it. Exactly. And then all that skim <laughs> that we need to find a home for it. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes that home is at zero dollars at this point in time. Yeah. How is the like the transition back to the animal feed been with the with the skim like disposing or or finding another use for it? Yeah. So we uh, yeah, at, at this point in time, we sort of have um, three markets. So we have the the. Um, the skim that we can actually export. So it's supposed to be 35,000 tons. I like what happened in the last year was kind of unfortunate just because of some of the logistic issues that went on. So we didn't, or the processors didn't fully uh, use all of that 35,000 tons. So I would say that that put a little bit more pressure on the two other markets, which are really um, the animal feed or the disposal kind of uh, other ingredient markets, I'll call it that. Um, so anyway, so we've definitely been uh, trying out a variety of uh, animal feed markets. It's been going relatively well. I would say that there's still, um, at least from what we're hearing, more demand that could be filled, which is great because we definitely have the skim milk to do it. Um, it's just a matter of making sure that we have the drying capacity uh, to be able to sell off to them because um, at this point in time, we're not selling any liquid uh, skim milk directly to animal feed customers. Yeah, because like the price hasn't been reflected in milk replacer. Right. Like the milk replacer still, I would say pretty pretty high in general. So I was just wondering if there was going to be a trickle down effect with that. But if you say they can't get it dried, mm -hmm. like then I guess the problem I kind of see is at the at the processor level or at the drying level, and then that's kind of out of everybody's control. I would right. think. Right. 
Yeah, because in terms of pricing, um, so for us, it, I think about things in terms of a kg of protein or other solids, so a kg of SNF as opposed to um, volume. But uh, for us, the, because the world price has been a little bit higher, um, part of that Kuzma deal is really that if we want to export above that cap, we can pay a penalty, right, which is 54 cents per kg of SNF. So ultimately, um, for that break even point, then for that animal feed market, we don't really want to go below 54 cents less than what our class four price is, because then we're losing money because you could have exported it um, and made more as a Canadian dairy producer. Oh, so, okay. So there would also be sort of a relationship there in terms of the price that you would see for that product. So because the world price is higher and we, we want to keep that sort of gap with the animal feed pricing within that 54 cents, um, it wouldn't you wouldn't maybe be seeing the same sort of uh, low prices that you might have seen at some other points in time when the world price was really low. So it's really just a, a, so there would be a couple market, of market pricing. Yeah, right. Yeah, because I know because I was looking at the market cap. Like I went back and printed one of my producer's milk statements off and I was just looking at it and it's actually been pretty strong. Like, you know, most of them have been over $2 and $2 and change, I guess. Oh, $2 and 20 cents, I think was the, one of the lower ones in February, 217. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's still like it, in your, if you look at it, like, does it still make sense for producers to be closer to that 2.3 then? Like if we're getting decent, pricing on the other solids and and protein yeah, in that in that 2.2 to 2.3 range was sort of uh what we had thought was reasonable so i think that'll be part of the reason for the review right is is really yeah. um want to make sure that that pricing policy even though it's sort of showing that uh, we don't really have the market for that snf so to make sure that those things are still going to be tied uh, going forward has there been any changes in like trends or pricing or consumption since the new market, like the new pricing kind of structure with the P5s come in? Um, you mean like it from a domestic market perspective? Yeah. Or, um, yeah. So, so the, the domestic market in the last year has been really difficult to predict. So that's why part of the review that we're going to do this fall is to go back and really try to calculate out uh, what does the domestic market look like as opposed to uh, two years ago. Um, when we had originally come up with that 2.0. But um, in terms of a shift in the domestic market, I don't expect there to be a huge difference. So like I said, the majority of the growth that we've had over the last five-year time period has been from um, really high-fat products. But if we look at what happened during COVID, um, some of those uh, higher skin products, so specifically fluid milk, uh, fluid milk sales were relatively strong. Um, so that really helped with your domestic sales of skim milk and also cheese. Cheese sales were really strong. Mm -hmm. And again, um, that's a product that uses a lot of skim. So in the grand scheme of things, butter was also strong. So where exactly will balance out? I don't expect that number to be um, very different from the 2.0 that it was originally or that it is currently in that policy. Yeah. So like the the way that you have it now, you think it's it's working well and other than maybe looking at some snf changes maybe dropping that a little bit you don't see anything too major happening in the future uh no so the the 2.3 ratio would be the one that i would think will be reviewed um or is it's possible that that would be revised down uh, in terms of the other elements of that policy uh really the changes that we were talking about were looking towards 
um, trying to do some testing for butter fat. So different types of fat um, was something that was sort of a longer term um, goal, I guess, of that policy was to be able to sort of weed out the different types of fat. Um, ultimately, they're still working on being able to have the testing at the labs to, to be able uh, to really do that where we're all sure that we're testing for the right things. Um, so that will be, uh, anyways, so that, that's probably the next thing, but we're still working with Lactinet and the, and the provincial labs to uh, make sure that we're sort of ready for that before we get there. So do you see a pricing change, like whether it be to the producer, I guess the producer pricing change this year, just with cost production being up and inflation kind of being a little bit higher? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so for sure we do our pricing, our form, we have a formula, so it's 50% COP, 50% CPI, and that, that formula applies for February 1st of every year. Um, so we're just starting to get into the preliminary results. So we don't, I'm supposed to get a, a official um, numbers maybe next week or the week after, but um, just based on preliminary results, I think we're going to be looking at those formula results being um, probably one of the highest uh, increases yeah. that we've seen in a while. Um, the other part of the, of the pricing that we have is the exceptional circumstances. So really, if there's a gap between COP and the blend price or the expected blend price, um, then we can also trigger exceptional circumstances where we ask for an additional increase from the Canadian Dairy Commission. So it, that's triggered, it's not that exceptional. It triggers uh, not infrequently um, these days, but uh, last year we asked for 2%. So that's considered an advance on the next adjustment. Um, so this year, most likely that will trigger again. So again, it'll just be a question of what sort of an increase we're, we're looking or we would like to ask for, for in addition. But preliminary, preliminary, if nobody holds me to it, um, the, the formula results right now look like we'll be just over 4%. So, um, yeah, and that's just, in, that's, and just and that's just because straight formula. That's just like strictly kind of looking at feed price increases mostly. Yeah. Yeah. Cost of production, um, for sure has gone up and, uh, and also inflation is a little higher this year too. Right. So, yeah, I wondered about that and how that would relate back to farmers, but like, does the world price offset that? Like with the world prices up and inflation and cost productions up, does that kind of mitigate it a little bit or is that just add yeah. into the formula? So the, the formula doesn't take into account uh, world price. So the formula is strictly just the change in cost of production and the change in inflation. So um, that formula result that's in that 4% range, 4 or 5% range, um, that will be that won't take into account world price at all. The second step, though, that exceptional circumstances trigger, um, that takes into account the total blend price, which will include world prices. So then the question is really um, if if sort of whatever that that overall blend price, which is obviously influenced by a variety of factors, um, then that would that would look at uh, whether whether or not there was a gap uh, with the COP, and that's where you could ask for a bigger increase um, if that's what we thought was was required. So again. That, that though isn't a formula, it's really like a, a decision of the Canadian Dairy Commission. And so um, what that actually ends up looking like is never entire, it's never entirely close. <laughs> no, you just don't know until you get into the, exactly. to, into the weeds of doing it, right? Yeah. I guess the other question too I was thinking about uh, this morning was, you know, what's the credit position in Ontario like now? I know there was some talk with the sleeves going to change here in... 
what a year August, August 1st yeah. yeah so what's uh how are we sitting so uh, right now in Ontario, as of August, uh, we have a credit position of minus 2.2 days. So that's on average. So um, anyway, so we're actually, I would say the, the for the majority of producers, uh, we're basically out of credits. Um, so that, that'll factor into sort of those uh, production decisions going forward, because there's not mm -hmm. a lot of credits here in Ontario. And again, if you compare us to Quebec, they're they're at more like uh, that minus seven, minus eight days. So a lot more credits there. But if we look at the producers that will actually be impacted or that would need to use up some credits, it's about 900 producers in Ontario right now that are at less than 15 days. And they represent about 20% of quota holdings. So. Not a, not a huge amount then. Not a huge amount. Yeah, we're, we're less than 30% of producers that are, that are in that position. So we, we, uh, there was a lot of credits used in the last year, I'll say. So production was really strong um, through this spring. Uh, so really, um, most of the credits are gone. Yeah, and then how does that affect, like, is there going to be, um, I don't know if you want to call it fines, but overproduction deterrence put into place then, like, as the province get closer? Like, does the province, I guess, have a sleeve that they're allowed to be within before they have to kind of curb production or... It, so the we manage things at the pool level so that's why okay. so so Ontario alone won't end up being impacted because we're part of that pool so I would say the fact that uh, we're with Quebec and Quebec is has been lagging a little bit more than Ontario has helped to offset us so we've been able to sort of um, issue quota the way that we have and the incentive days that people have had over the last little while but I will say one of the changes that was made recently was the over quota penalty being put back in um, and it's it's exactly for that reason so in Ontario the amount of over quota milk that was being shipped and it's shipped where you have to pay the deduction on the check, but there was no mm -hmm. actual penalty. It kept increasing and increasing to the point where it was really hard at that P5 table to defend the amount of overquota milk that was coming forward from Ontario. And it was really, we just saw it kept, keep uh, increasing a little bit at a time as people got closer and closer to that, or more and more producers got closer to out of credits or at that, that plus 10 position. Um, so that over quota penalty coming back into place and right now it's only it's $20 so um, hopefully that's enough of a deterrent for people to uh, ship a little bit less so we'll be back in line. Yeah, and but they can still ship as many credits. Like if they've you got under credits, credits to ship. Yeah, okay. No it's just that once credits. it's just that once you get to the sleeve. top of the to the sleeve then there's a penalty now of the $20 plus you pay the deduction. Is that a bit of kind of what happened with the incentives this summer then because i know there was a lot of optimism coming into the summer or with the amount of milk that could produce i know there were some increases you know some extra in quota or incentive days offered and then it kind of got retracted so is that because of all these credits coming forward or is it partly because of market demand because i know you said it's kind of hard to predict the the market yeah, right the now market, with the so it was a lot market um so we're in terms of the market right now um i'll say it, it was the expectation going into this fall is that this fall would be will be good right we're going into an environment where things are more open kids are going back to school so the expectation was like school milk programs 
and we're going into probably actually having Christmas this year. I don't want to jinx anything, but um, <laughs> it seems like there's a possibility that we will actually have some Christmas parties. So it seemed like this fall was going to be good. We were going to have food service come back. Retail would still be strong. People would be doing things. Um, and so in Ontario, for sure, but in uh, a few of the other maritime provinces as well, we were, we were basically out of credit. So we used up those credits this spring. All of that milk is being taken. There's lots of demand for butter fat right now. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that we were sending the right signal that the expectation was longer term. Um, this was the growth we were seeing. And I, I will say that even with all of the adjustments in the last little while, the expectation is still that demand is going to continue to be good over the next 12 months. So we're still at more than 2% is the forecast from CDC. Um, the problem that we ran into was that short-term transition issue. And I'll say it was almost like it was the opposite of what we saw last uh, April. So last April, all of a sudden food service stopped and people sort of ramped up really quickly on retail. So we saw that stockpiling and then things just crashed in April. It's almost like we were in the opposite this year. So we saw the retail sales start to fall off and the expectation was that food service would start, sort of make up for that. And for a variety of reasons, so whether it's labor shortages or the hours are limited or people aren't just eating maybe the, the same uh, products as they did in the past, um, the, the food service hasn't come back at the same level as it was pre-pandemic. So as a result of that, we ended up in this, what we're hoping is a short-term sort of transition between sort of that balance in food service and that balance in retail. And that's where I will say right now too, I haven't seen the same sort of uptake in some of in the fluid milk sales coming out of the fall either as what was what was expected. So again, it's it's so hard to tell. Like, is the is it that the school milk programs are slightly different right now, or it'll readjust and things will open up differently, or we'll start to ramp up a little bit more as we get later into September, hopefully. Mm -hmm. um, but that created sort of that short-term issue. And I'll say the other thing that's going on at the same time um, from a market perspective is imports, right? So uh, we know we have all those trade deals. The trade deals sort of increase uh, the quantities over the first five years that they're bringing in. Um, so the first year, beginning of COVID, there were a lot of logistic issues. So people really, the products were not coming across the border. And so that gave us a little bit of extra growth. Um, I'll say from a domestic production requirement because the product we thought would be filled by imports wasn't. Um, since that time, the U.S. has definitely figured it out. So the U.S. products are now, are, those TRQs are being filled. So they're definitely the high fat products. So the butter, the cream, the milk, um, those products are coming across. So because that production is coming across, it's, um, and again, that's one of those things where it's, it's speculation in some cases, but it seems like maybe uh, processors are responding to those imports coming in by managing stock levels slightly differently. So what ended up happening this summer was it seemed like processors tried to rebalance cheese stocks really quickly in those couple of summer months. And whether that was the market factor or the imports or a combination of all of those things, we ended up with this short-term or what we think is short term, a uh, quick drop in terms of demand for from cheese processors where mm -hmm. uh, then we were sort of left scrambling. So as a result of that, we had to pull out some of those incentive days that we had originally thought we were going to need. 
um, just to just to rebalance because we had basically lost that processing capacity when those cheese processors uh, didn't order. Yeah, and I mean that's kind of the whole point of incentive days, right? Is that they can be taken and given, and they're more of a management tool, I guess, for for the processors and for the producers. Just to you know, if we have some extra market that we need to fill for a couple months, we have producers that can answer the bell and and ship that extra extra product. Yeah, and- so. Well, ex- yeah, exactly. We, we we were wanting to make sure that we were keeping that sort of production uh, levels going uh, through the summer so that this fall uh, would be good, that we would have the production there. Um, and of course, it's a little bit easier or it's easier to adjust the incentive days. But uh, anyways, short, short term or sort of a, a quick change in terms of that ordering was was re- really threw us off. Uh, I'll say it's it's funny because it, there's still demand. We know there's still lots of demand for um, butter fat. So even with the de- so with the decrease in um, ordering from those cheese processors, we still must have sold a lot of product because the cheese stocks dropped by three thousand tons in that month, right? So had we That's not had the disposals that we we saw, we probably would have kept our cheese stocks at a at a similar level. So it was. There was some sort of management decision that we don't have a lot of uh, insight into, but that was the quick response that, that needed to happen then as a result of that. What about butter stocks? Like I know last year you had said that they were burning through butter, like they were they were consuming more than they were producing, which was a good thing because it sounded like there was a lot of butter sitting in freezer spaces around around Canada. Like has that changed? Are they back to more normal inventories now or are they blow inventory yeah so so that's again one of those questions of what is the new normal in terms of that level so right now uh we're at about we're just under thirty-two thousand tons of butter so that's uh that's where we finished the dairy year so finished uh, out july um so that is lower a little bit lower than where we've been the last number of years But the question is really now with the butter coming across from the U.S. and there's butter coming in from the CPTPP countries, so really from New Zealand or Australia, um, the butter from those countries not to the same extent, probably again because of logistic issues, but for sure from the U.S., is the level of butter stocks that we would have considered like really comfortable to have in the past Mm -hmm. now a little bit too high. And it's, uh, it's tough because ultimately we're sort of at the, at the discretion of processors on that one, because we can make all of the milk available, but ultimately we need them to process it into a product. So um, yeah, so butter stocks, I would say we're a little bit lower than when we've been the last couple of years. Um, It doesn't seem like, though anybody's really worried about it uh, in terms of what that level is at this point in time. So there's lots of milk available for anybody who wants to make butter. I'll, I'll say it uh, say it that way. So from a processor perspective, they definitely have every opportunity to make some butter stocks if that's what they need to do. Do you see that changing too, like with more on-farm processing? Like it just randomly last night, I was in our local grocery store and I seen some kind of more like an artisan butter Um, and you're starting to see some more like on-farm cheese processing, on-farm milk processing, like what kind of market share do they have there and and how does that work? Um, yeah, those are, those are great, um, sort of success stories. So we, we are definitely starting to see more, um, on-farm processing. So I think it fills a great like niche market local has all the, 
the great story um, elements that, that we were looking for, it, it's not a huge portion of the overall market. So we're, we're still talking um, really, really small in terms of the overall uh, grand scheme of things. So um, anyways, ho hopefully over time, they'll, they'll be really successful and we'll start to see that grow. Um, but at this point in time, it, it's, not, it's not something that's making a huge difference in terms of um, our overall management decisions, I'll say it that way. Yeah, and it seems like it's uh, it's trending upwards, though. I think it's I think it's very positive for the dairy industry to see a lot more of this initiative being taken by farmers. I know you see a lot more advertising around the countryside and things like that about it too. So, yeah, no, it is. It's great, and I, I think there's there's some opportunities to do some niche niche products, so like the grass fed butter or, or products like that, where um, it's great for competing or filling like some markets maybe that otherwise could have gone to alternative uh, alternative dairy products. Yeah, exactly. Um, just to touch back on uh, imports, like are the trade deals being maximized? Are they, or are we doing that a lot of filling that domestically or do we have to fill, have to allow so much in there if they want that space, they can have it. Yeah. So um Okay, so we have, basically we have a WTO, which is the, the trade deal that we've always been sort of importing, CETA, which is for the most, it's the European, um, most part it's cheese. I'll say CETA is for the most part uh, fully taken advantage of. CETA is the only one where there's a requirement that we have to fill to a certain percentage or um, it sort of changes the management around it. So ultimately like the, the Canadian government will make sure that we meet that threshold. Um, but that's the only trade deal where it's required. CPTPP, um, I'll say those products, the fill rate has been relatively low. It's, uh, anyways, there, there's some, some products are slightly higher. So the butter comes in at a slightly higher rate, cheese a little bit. Um, but for the most part, those fill rates on those products have been below 50%. So in terms of what they could be importing. Um, and then the last one is Kuzma. So the U.S., um, at the beginning, the fill rates were not that high. It seems like uh, they're taking advantage of them a lot more at this point in time. I'll say what's interesting about the U.S., there's no requirement under either one of those agreements to actually uh, definitely fill them. Um, mm -hmm. but based on the recent trade challenge from the U.S., I think that we could expect that if for some reason those TRQs weren't filled from the US that we would get a lot of questions and that there, there's a chance that there would be some sort of challenge um, that they would launch if it looked like uh, those weren't being filled for some um, policy reason. So I expect, I, the expectation is those will be filled. Um, so in terms of globally then across all of those trade deals, we sort of uh, do, so some of the products are managed on a dairy year basis and some are managed on a calendar year basis. Um, but overall, if we say in the last 12 months, based on what could have come in, sort of spreading that out um, across the year, we're at about a 42% fill rate um, in terms of all of the butter fat that could come, come in from those different trade deals. So still not, not even above 50% yet, but um, it's growing. So we'll, uh, we'll see those, those U.S. imports start to become more important because, again, they ramp up over those first couple of years. Um, anyways, and we'll see what happens with the CPTPP. Not, not clear at this point in time. Well, I know just listening to some of the dairy outlooks in the U.S., like they're 
they're cranking milk out of the U.S. right now, like exporting, and they're talking. I think, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around like fifteen percent is where they're kind of headed right now. Maybe I could be wrong on that. I don't know. You, you're probably a better person to ask. No, but. They, they're uh, they're definitely uh, they've definitely been, and and again, it's probably a question of logistic issues in some cases with the U.S. too, right? Because I know that mm -hmm. they've had they've had lots of products, but they've had also had a really hard time in terms of shipping containers to get product out. Um, they don't have that same sort of issue with China versus they do to get product into Canada. So uh, we yeah. should expect that it, it's relatively easy to get product from the U.S. into Canada. So that those uh, those TRQs will get filled. Yeah, it sounds like the supply chain is buggering everybody right now. Right. <laughs> Feed, yeah, exactly. milk, doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a question about, uh, like just crystal ball look like big picture outlook. Like I, I know you don't have, I know you have to kind of limit what you say and what you don't say, but like with the dairy going forward, is it optimistic, pessimistic? Is it kind of status quo for the next, you know, 12, 18, 24 months or, or what do you think's going to go on? Yeah, so so like I said, we're still expecting growth, right? So uh, the CDC does a forecast, they update it um, quarterly. As of right now, we're still expecting for the next 12 months growth above 2%. So, um, and, and sort of going forward, the expectation is that we continue to have growth on that butterfat side. So I think in terms of the market dynamic, all of that, we've managed, and that was a big worry, um, I'll say at the beginning with those trade deals, that when those trade deal quantities were increasing, that they were going to take all of the growth. And so far, that hasn't been the case. So for the next year, I don't expect that to be the case. The next two years, um, we'll see We'll see sort of out into that two, three-year time horizon. But then at that point in time, the trade deal uh, quantities sort of level off. Um, and then any growth that we get from the domestic market would again sort of be uh, entirely filled by Canadian production, hopefully. So, um, so I, I think like the next year seems to be relatively positive. Um, out the next two, three years, um, we could expect to see probably less growth than what we've seen in the last little or in the last number of years. So in the last five years, for sure. Um, and then hopefully after that, we get into a more steady state. I'll say that some of the biggest sort of um, yeah, I don't want to call them worries, but challenges, let's go with challenges, um, that the Canadian dairy system will be facing is really what I said about the skim milk. So what are we going to do with this surplus skim milk? And obviously having huge quantities of surplus skim milk where we don't have a market for them or the market for them is super low price is going to have an impact on blend price. Um, so that'll be something that's important. And then also from a processing infrastructure um, conversation. So we need to make sure that we have processing and that we have processing sort of across the country to respond to um, that skim milk, <laughs> but also just in terms of our overall market growth, like we need to have somebody to process it. So making sure that um, we have that available and we're sort of working with processors to make sure we have that investment and what we need to, to maintain or continue to have growth going forward is going to be something that's really important to keep that sort of positive outlook on where things are, are headed for the Canadian industry. And how are the two new plants? Like I know we started up two plants here in the last 12, 18 months. Like is everything going tickety-boo there or 
Yeah, so um, for yeah, uh, Fairlife started in Peterborough. Um, they they seem to be doing well, so I'm sure that they that Coke would love to have more growth than they've seen. But um, I think considering sort of the the fact that the fluid milk market in Canada has been declining for a number of years, that they've been doing uh, they've been doing really well. Um, the plant in Kingston had a few more, I'll say, logistics issues um, in terms of their startup. Uh, so anyways, they're still working through some of those things. Some of them are just um, making sure that you can get product into China and the approvals and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I would say at this point in time, they're not at sort of um, the, the, or at least in the last year, they haven't been at sort of the levels they were hoping to be at. Um, and so that's definitely an opportunity uh, going forward that as they sort of hopefully work through some of those issues and take in more milk, that that'll be a good market for and good processing for the skim milk that we have available here. Well, that's good. Uh, that's good to hear because I know they've made some huge investments in the Canadian market. So it's good to see, you know, some of that money coming to fruition. So um, what about A2 milk? I hear a little bit of rumbling about it and you're starting to see more of it on store shelves. Is that like something that the DFO is paying a lot of attention to, to see where the market's trending at, or is it kind of a niche consideration still? Yeah. So, uh, we have had some conversations, uh, with the processor that's, uh, that's maybe done the most investment in that. So at this point in time, um, so we have, we have some on-farm processors that have done some work in that market. So I'll say again, though, that's a relatively low scale. So in terms of when you go to the stores, um, and see product, that product is actually coming out of Western Canada. So at this point in time, um, the size of that market um, is really small enough that it hasn't made sense for the processor to be in more than one um, facility. So they can do basically all of the product for the country out of one spot. Um, and that makes the most sense for them at this point in time. So the hope is that if they were to have some growth, then they would move some of that processing into Ontario. Um, but at this point in time, uh, the growth has been, or the, the increases have been relatively low or the, the amount of market share that they've had is relatively low. So it's not something that they're looking at, at least in the in the short term, but it's something we continue to have conversations with them uh, to make sure that we're ready um, if uh, if they actually end up with some some good traction in terms of the market. So I'll say they they said um, in Australia, and I think that Australia is maybe the, the market that people look to, that it took about 10 years for them to sort of ramp up to the levels that people talk about now. Um, so they're still in that first year. So, um, and obviously one of the hardest thing is, is really the marketing around it for them. So mm -hmm. they're really limited in what they can say. So uh, yeah, definitely monitoring and we'll, we'll see where it goes. But at this point in time, it's, it's not something that uh, we have any big um, requests for in the province. And I know, Kristen, you have kind of a national scope at times and you look at kind of the whole milk marketing as a country. So when something like uh, what's happening in Western Canada right now, you know, drought, you know, is there any scare of production there where milk might have to move east or west? Like, is that pretty fluid within the Canadian milk market or... Sorry for the pun, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, does, uh, is there a lot of like interprovincial movement on milk? Like if there's a, if we have to fill some market in Alberta, Ontario is going to step up to the plate and send it there and kind of vice versa. 
Um, yeah, so we have, so, uh, yeah, so we do manage in terms of supply or in terms of quota, it's managed at the national level. Um, and in terms of making sure that the pools are filling quota nationally, um, we actually do that management at the national level. So it means that basically like if the, if the Western milk pool for whatever reason couldn't fill their quota, P5 would have the first right to try to fill or bring the milk forward for that. Um, in order to make sure that we were filling that market and we didn't need to import, right? So mm -hmm. the, the system is now set up for that. Um, logistically, though, that's, it's, that's more complicated, right? Because ultimately, like, we're not going to move raw milk from Ontario to Alberta. Yeah. Um, and so you need to have the processing sort of locally to be able to um, make that product and then you ship that final product into those markets. Um, so uh, anyways, uh, it's, uh, it's something that we continue to have lots of conversations with the West on and uh, to make sure that if they have any concerns about production levels, um, that we're able to sort of respond and that we're managing it nationally. But at this point in time, um, or at least a few months ago, so at our last sort of national meeting, um, they were still fairly confident that they were going to be able to fill quota um, coming into this year. So um, again, it, it might be more of a, of a question of cost of production at some point in time, but mm -hmm. um, for the most part, it wasn't a huge concern that there was going to be big shortages. But again, uh, something that's constantly monitored and we'll, we'll try to make sure that nationally we would respond to that if it, if it was the case that things were really short um, before we sort of looked outside of the country. Yeah, just like uh, last year, like this is amazing that you can just kind of talk about this stuff so easily because there's so much going on in the in the milk marketing world and so many different moving parts and i think uh doing things like this really help kind of producers understand where the processing and marketing end is kind of at because it's uh i know it's hard i get into my day-to-day -day routines and i think about my day-to-day -day routines but you know when we look at a feed market or a milk market or things like that like it's so it's so broad and there's so many different moving parts it's it's hard to keep track of it all but was there anything else that you wanted to add or i don't think so i think we we touched all the highlights there <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i know it sounds like we're a little bit all over the place at points but uh <laughs> it was uh it was really awesome to have you back on Kristen, and i really appreciate uh, you taking the time out of your busy day to uh to accommodate this and and uh i hope you have a, a great fall and and hopefully um we can get to People can get to buy either at Christmas and Thanksgiving is in that and we see some kind of sense of normality yeah, uh, coming right. into this fall. So I agree with you completely from a for, for a variety of reasons. I, I hope things uh, start to get back to something a little bit more normal, but also that we see people really enjoying dairy products coming in because <laughs> that'll be great. <laughs> Wine and cheese anyway. go together quite well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Kristen. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the dairy team at Trout Nutrition Canada and our SureGain dealer partners. If you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast player and please leave us a review. If you'd like more information about today's discussions, please reach out. We have left our contact information in the show notes. I would also like to extend a special thanks to our sound engineer, Daniel Noguera.